Yesterday, we found the Apostle Paul calculating his wealth, not in terms of money, but in terms of all of his religious achievements and experiences and privileges. And we saw that he put all of that in the category of loss. Well, today we're going to see that he continues this train of thought and says everything in his life is basically worthless compared to one thing, which we will look at. Welcome, everyone. Glad you're with us. Good morning, Keith. Good morning to all who are joining us on this uh, fine Tuesday morning. My name is Doug, and we gather here every Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time, and we study God's Word together. Uh, We want to have minds that are renewed by His Word so that we won't be conformed to this world, but we'll be transformed. And so that's what we're doing here. So glad you're with us, and today's a good day. It's Tuesday, but that's not why it's a good day. It's a good day because our Lord Jesus made this day, and that is worth rejoicing in and being glad in. So I'm glad you're with us, and I pray that you will joy, find joy in this day that he has made. So as we continue with Philippians chapter 3, as I said yesterday in verse 7, good morning, Jenny. I see you pop up there. Uh Verse 7 of chapter 3, we saw Paul said, Whatever things were gain to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And the idea here is that Paul is taking stock of his wealth. He's calculating his net worth. And he referred to those things. And those things were all of his, uh, his benefits as a Jew. Uh, the things of the flesh, as he called them. And remember, we talked about flesh there being circumcision, circumcision of the flesh, and all that went with that. His uh, heritage as a Benjamite, as a uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, born into a, a Jewish family. He wasn't a convert. He wasn't a proselyte. He was born in the Jewish family. Uh, he had great zeal for God, so much so that he put to death uh, Christians who he thought were violating the law of God, and he was committed to the law, and he called himself blameless with respect to that law. All of those things, all of those achievements, all of his own passions, all of the privilege that he inherited from his parents, he put all of that in the category not of gain, but as loss. He's using accounting terms here. And as he's uh, figuring out his net worth, here are all the things that would want to go into the wealth column in terms of human achievement. And he says, none of those are in the wealth column. Those are all in the loss column. Those things actually take away from my wealth. Those detract from my net worth. Then the next verse, he says, more than that, I count all things to be loss. Now, this phrase here in the English, more than that, is uh, it doesn't quite capture the original language here. The Greek, there are three words piled back to back to back uh, one of them is a strong adversative that simply means rather. Uh, you know, we use the word but, not this, but that. Uh, when 
the New Testament writers want to emphasize that, not this, but that. They use this word Allah, which means rather. So it's a strong word. And then he adds another word that is sort of like rather, rather, (laughs) rather indeed, intensely rather. And then he adds another word, which is also. So indeed, rather, also kind of thing. And he's not stuttering. He is saying beyond what I just said of counting all that religious heritage as, as loss. He says, I consider, I count as I put together all of my net worth. I put everything in the category of loss and detracting from my net worth in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Paul had a one-track mind. There was just one thing in his estimation that gave him value, and it was Christ and Christ alone. Here's a man who had achieved much. He will go on in Philippians and say, I know what it's like to be wealthy. I know what it's like to be content with great wealth. None of that matters. He says, I know what it's like to be poor. None of that matters. The only thing that belongs in the net worth, in the value line of my calculation is Christ. It reminds us of something that Jesus uh, told a young man. We call him the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. So he encounters this young man, and we put together all the different accounts, and, uh, and he's a younger man, and he's a wealthy man. We see that in the text here. And, and he's a ruler, uh, Luke tells us. And here's how Matthew's account describes it. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? So this is a, a young Jewish man. And he recognizes that Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. That's what it calls him. And he believes that Jesus can teach him truth before God. So he comes up to him and says, I have all this stuff, but what I want is I want, I want eternal life. I want this thing that you've been talking about. I've heard you describe having eternal life, living forever. I want that. And I want to know, how can I obtain it? So he comes to Jesus and asks him, what must I do? And Jesus first asks him this question, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Referring, of course, to the Father, and he explains that in in another account here. But then he gets back to the question, but if you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. So you want to have eternal life? Obey the commandments. Well, the, uh, the, the ruler, the young guy wants to know exactly which commandments Jesus has in mind. So he asks him, which ones? And Jesus responds from the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Going right down the line from the Ten Commandments. And then he adds one from Leviticus 19. He says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you recall, in another occasion, Jesus will say, these are the 
two greatest commandments in the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this man wants to know what he must do to have eternal life. Jesus says, keep the commandments. He lists several from the Ten Commandments, and then this, love your neighbor as yourself. The young man replied, I've done that. All these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? So here he is face to face with Jesus. And he says, I've kept the law. Kind of similar to Paul saying before the law, I was blameless. This man says, I, I, I've done that. I've, I've, I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I haven't uh, been a false witness in a court of law. I do honor my parents and and I love my neighbor. What am I still lacking? I'm still coming up short. I don't have eternal life. Notice that Jesus doesn't argue with him. So often when I hear teachers teaching on this passage, they say, no, no, this man hasn't kept any of the law. He's not perfect. He hasn't been obedient. And they say, look, Jesus left out the first one. And the second one, he, he left out, uh, don't have any other gods before me. That's how we often teach this. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't contradict this man. He didn't say, no, 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 you haven't kept the law. He says this, if you wish to be complete. Now, that's important. What do we, what do, we do uh, when we say the word complete? What do we mean? If you are taking a test and you complete the exam, then you finished what you set out to do, right? If you are running a marathon and you complete the race, then you, you reach the goal, you finish what you set out to do. That's exactly what the, the Greek word here translated complete means. It's from this uh, family of words, telos. And uh, if you ever uh, take one of my seminary classes and take Greek from me, you're going to get hammered with this because it's an extremely important word in the New Testament. Telos. Um, it means to achieve the purpose, to achieve the goal. Uh, if you are playing football, you want to get to the goal line. If you get the ball across the goal line into the end zone, then you have completed your task. You've achieved that goal. That's what this word telos is getting at. Jesus says, if you wish to complete, if you wish to reach the goal, you want eternal life? If you wish to achieve that goal, go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Well, it sounds like what, what Jesus is doing here is just adding another command, another law. You've kept these 10 commands. Okay, I'm adding to it. Now go sell what you have, give it to the poor. And we might conclude from that that he's saying, this is how we get eternal life sell everything and give it to the poor. Well, he does give that instruction to this man, but notice the final statement, and come, follow me. Now, what is Jesus getting at? Okay, you've kept the Ten Commandments. You've kept uh, the instruction from the Old Covenant Law. Now, I, as your king, as the Messiah, am saying... If you want to have eternal life, you have to decide that there is something that is 
far greater than anything you have in this life. And that's me. So you want eternal life? Jesus says, I'm telling you, sell your possessions. I know you have great wealth. I know you value your wealth. I know you love your wealth. I'm saying, if you want eternal life, then you place me ahead of everything else. Sort of like saying, take all that you value, all of your wealth, all of your riches and possessions, and count them all as loss. Put them all in the detraction category. Sell it. Give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. You'll take your treasure that was here on earth, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me if you want eternal life. What was the young man's response? We are told. The young man heard his statement and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. He was not willing to put everything in the loss category except for Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard. Paul was a rich man. He was willing to put everything, all of his wealth, in the loss category. This man was not. Jesus then makes this strange statement that we know. He says, I, t- I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, this really astounded the disciples because in the Jewish way of thinking, if you were rich, it meant God blessed you. If a rich man can't enter the kingdom, then who can? That's what they said, right? The disciples heard this. They were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see what happened with Paul then? God did the impossible in Paul's mind, in his heart. He enabled Paul to consider all of his earthly wealth as loss to have eternal life and and forsake everything else for Christ. It's impossible for us to do on our own. We can't just conjure up. We can't just make ourselves do this. This rich ruler, this rich young man, he wanted eternal life. but he wasn't willing to make that trade of all of his value to inherit it. How do we get that willingness? God gives it to us. It's all of grace. It's all a gift of God. So Paul says, I count all things. I I consider it all loss. I put everything in in this category. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Messiah. This word knowing in the scripture, uh, whenever it's describing knowing or knowledge between people, it means far more than simple simple, uh, intellectual apprehension. He's not saying, he doesn't say, I count it all as loss in, in view of the surpassing knowledge about Jesus about Christ. 
It's not simply information. There are a lot of unbelievers that have the right information about Christ. They, they can tell you true facts about Jesus. They can read the Bible and they can conclude true facts about Jesus. But whenever this word knowledge is used in a term of relationship between individuals, between people, it is a deep, intimate love and affection for one another. To illustrate this point, let me uh, just point out that in Genesis chapter 4, when uh, after the fall, after Adam and Eve had sinned against God, in chapter 4 it says, and Adam uh, knew his wife Eve and she became pregnant. Clearly, it doesn't mean that Adam knew about Eve, that he just had information about her, that he had facts about her. No, the Bible there is not simply using a euphemism because it's afraid to talk about sex. Uh, no, the Bible can be very explicit about sex. Have you read Song of Solomon lately? But there, the Bible is describing this deep, intimate relationship, this love between Adam and Eve to describe the sexual union. And we see this over and over again in the Old Testament. Uh, God talks about knowing Moses and David and, and others. Jesus said, this is eternal life in John 17. This is eternal life. You want to have eternal life? This is it. That they, talking about his disciples, may know you. Who? The only true God. So eternal life is knowing the only true God and knowing Jesus, the Messiah, whom you have sent. You want to have eternal life? You have to have this deep, personal, intimate relationship with God and with Jesus, the Messiah, whom God sent. Jesus said, this is eternal life. We can't just know facts. We can't just have information. We can't just know abstract theology. We have to know him as the person who he is. And Paul here says, this knowledge, this intimate relationship surpasses all value. Everything I had in life, everything that mattered to me, all this wealth I was accumulating, it all goes in the lost column, in view of this, this knowledge, this value, this wealth that surpasses it all, knowing Messiah. And then he names him Jesus. And then he calls him my Lord. Do you remember earlier in Philippians when Paul takes from Isaiah, the prophet, where God says, someday, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am the Lord. And Paul takes that prophecy and applies it to Jesus. And he says, Jesus was given a name or the name above all names. Well, what name was it? It's the Lord. It's that title, sovereign one, Adonai. And God had made a big deal of, I will give my glory to no one else. 
but he gives it to Jesus. He gives his glory to his son, Jesus, and says, Jesus is Lord. And the time is coming when every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every knee will bow before this one, before this Jesus who is the Lord. That's why it goes on and says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because that Lord Jesus is the one who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Paul here says, I know Messiah. I know Jesus. He is not the Lord, but my Lord. There's a close affection for this one who is king. Paul says, I willingly bow my knee to this Lord. He's my Lord. He's my king. He's not an abstract far off king. He's not simply the Lord of the universe and the Lord of everyone, which which is true. But he's my king. There's no greater value, he says. Nothing compares to that. No experience I have, no possession, no relationship, no treasure, nothing is of value compared to knowing him, my Lord. Can you say the same thing? Do you treasure Christ above all else? Paul here says, for him, for for Christ Jesus, my Lord, for him, I have suffered the loss of all things. Again, the the accounting terms. I have purposefully in my mind i have i've considered i have reckoned everything as loss not not suffering in in the way he usually uses the word here but i have purposefully considered all things in my life and put them in this loss category in fact He becomes a little bit uh, improper here. I count them, again, accounting terms, but rubbish. This is a uh, a more uh, politically, uh, politically is not the right word, a more acceptable term, a more proper term. This translation rubbish is a little more proper than what Paul is actually saying. Uh, rubbish, I can say rubbish here and nobody's going to get too upset with me. I can say feces. I can say dung. I can say refuse, but there's a word that is synonym for all of those that if I say the S word, then people will think, oh, he shouldn't say that out loud. Well, Paul wrote it. This is, he says, I count everything in my life on the dung hill. I am saying everything that you would consider to be value, it's what goes in the toilet and gets flushed. Not exactly a genteel, uh, uh, polite speech here, but I count everything as crap so that I may gain Messiah. Now, that poses the question for us. Do I count everything as deserving to go in the toilet? All of my accomplishments? 
all of my relationships. Think about all the things that we tend to value. Maybe you've built great monetary wealth. Maybe you've been really, really good at saving and investing or you worked hard for 20, 30, 40 years or have a lot of social security or, or you built a great business and you really have accumulated a lot of wealth and you think, I've done something with my life. Paul would say, in the toilet. Maybe you have a great family. Maybe you've invested well in your children. You have a great marriage and great kids and grandkids. You take pride in that, think that that's valuable. That's something. Paul says, compared to knowing Christ, it goes in the toilet. Maybe you have a great house, a great art collection. Uh, maybe you've been a lifelong missionary. And you say, look, look what I've done. I've given 20, 30, or 40 years to missions work. Look at all the people I've led to the Lord. Look at, look at how I've uh, given so much of my time. I abandoned, uh, I, I did what, what Jesus said. I, I abandoned earthly treasure for, uh, for all this missionary work. Paul says, those achievements, nah, compared to knowing Christ, it goes in the toilet. What is it that you place great value in? What is it that, that you look at and say, I'm proud of that? Now, from, from one perspective, I think that's good. Uh, if you've used your time well and, and built wealth and, uh, and invested well, that is meaningful. Don't get me wrong. And this is not the only text in all of Scripture. Uh, it is a good thing to invest well. We talked about all, all of that in, in Ecclesiastes. Uh, and when we are told to, we, we, we want to build wealth. And as long as we use that wealth for the things that God tells us to and to enjoy his good gifts. And we certainly, we want to have strong marriages and great families that, that is honoring to the Lord and, and missionary work and evangelism and on and on down the list. There's so much more. We are to live this life as human beings and do all of the things that God tells us to. So, we, we need to take this in its proper context. It, it's not saying that none of that has any value at all. But when it comes to our net worth before God, none of that is anything before God. He owns it all. The whole world is his. The whole universe is his. He owns everything. What is valuable in God's eyes, what gives us net worth in God's eyes? It's gaining Christ. See how he keeps coming back to the same accounting term? In the lost column of our net value, our net worth, is everything. In the gain column, what gives us inherent value, we gain Christ. That's how we're to look at the world. Lon here has a comment. Let me, let me see what it says. Uh, Jesus says, believing in him results in eternal life. John 3, 16, believing is different, is believing different from knowing and which is required for eternal life. Ooh, good question. Uh, yeah, they're two sides of the same coin. In fact, uh, in our text that we'll look at tomorrow, faith or belief or trust is, uh, is what he is going to amplify as crucial to this whole discussion. Another way of describing that saving faith is knowing 
the Lord. Uh, so again, they're two sides of the same coin. They're, they're coming at the same thing from slightly different perspectives. Uh, faith is that uh, trust in what has been revealed about Jesus. Knowing is the, the getting the information right, but then taking that a step further and loving him, having that deep relationship with him. Uh, I can have a type of faith in people that I don't necessarily love, uh, right? I can, I can accept some things about them and put some level of trust in them, but that kind of relationship that is, is what we consider what the Bible describes as that knowing relationship means not only do I have a, a, a type of trust, but it is a loving trust. It is an effective trust where my, my heart is for them. And it's, it's beyond simply a fiduciary uh, kind of relationship. So we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But uh, believing and knowing are, are two different ways of saying almost the same thing, but they are emphasizing something slightly different. And again, tomorrow we will look at the faith part of this. So as we head into this day, let us consider, let us take stock in our own mind and heart. What is it we value? What are those things that we are tempted to put into the wealth column, the gain column? And are we willing to transfer all of it to the loss column and say, this is the one thing that gives me wealth before God, and that is knowing his son, Jesus Christ. I pray that'll be true of all of us. Have a great day. Grace to you and peace in the Lord Jesus. Know him and find your value in him. Until tomorrow, God bless.